everybody, and welcome to another episode of Industry Talk. I'm your host, Barry, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dan Tonkin. Tonkin. Oh, Tonkin. <laughs> Maybe we should redo it. Let's redo it. I, you know, yeah. one of the things I usually do is I ask how to pronounce, and this time I didn't. I did it last No, it's cool. It's, so it's, it's, it's Tonkin. Tonkin. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. But you got the Dan right. It's definitely Dan instead of Dan. Yes. See, th- th- you know what? This is This is called karma, where my editor is going to be laughing hysterically. Like, exactly what you get. <laughs> so now I have to tell him there's a false start. All right. <laughs> Take two. <Okay. laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Nintendo Fuse's Industry Talk. I'm your host, Barry, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dan Tonkin from Phase 2 Games. Dan? Hello, Barry. Thanks very much for the uh, invitation. It's lovely to be here. Absolutely. And and your company, Phase 2 Games, is putting out a game coming out October 20th called Battle Hunters, which is a squad-based RPG. It's coming to the PC on Steam as well as the Switch. Uh, be- before we get into the Battle Hunters, um, why don't you just introduce yourself and a little background for our viewers who may not know who you are. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of background, Barry, so um, <laughs> your, your editor's going to have fun with this. Um, so... Um, Phase 2 Games is two people. It's myself and a guy called Toby Charlton, and we have been making video games together for, oh, my goodness, 25 years, something like that. So I started work uh, at a company called Beam Software in about 1995, and my first game I worked on was a game called Crush, Kill, and Destroy on the PC, which was a RTS game. It was, a, it was basically a, a Command & Conquer clone. It was, it was when Command & Conquer 1 had come out, and it was really, really popular, and a lot of studios were clamoring to like do a Me Too game and get, get a taste of that market. So we did a game called Crush, Kill & Destroy, and it was my first job in the industry doing sprite uh, artwork, and uh, it was like totally been thrown in the deep end. So I had to do all of the, all of the infantry, infantry sprites, all the vehicle sprites, all the buildings, all the, it was crazy. So I did that. It was loads of fun. I learned heaps and then went on to do a sequel to that, a few more PC games, and then I left after about six years there, went to Europe to work uh, on a PlayStation 2 game. I worked on a Crash Bandicoot game, a game called Crash Twin Sanity, which um, is a bit of a black sheep in the Crash Bandicoot <laughs> family. Um, it was a really difficult process, like really, really green studio, and uh, um, a lot of people lacked a lot of experience, but um, after sort of about three and a half really difficult years, we kind of dragged this game kicking and screaming like into the box and managed to get it out uh, for, for what it's worth. We got it there. Um, so that was, look, that was, that was a really cool experience in terms of like, you know, sometimes they say, um, you know, difficulty is great for character building and, and you learn a lot from mistakes. And that was a really difficult dev process. And I learned a lot about things to avoid, you know, better processes to adopt, how to be a bit more efficient you know, the importance of a really great tool chain and all that sort of stuff. So I left um, England in about 2003 and came back to Melbourne. And that's when it, things started to really get cool for me. Um, I joined Toby, who is now my current business partner, who had I'd worked with back at Beam Software on Crush, Kill, and Destroy and various games. I joined him and another guy, Tony Lay, and the three of us had a very small studio doing mobile phone stuff. And this was when mobile stuff was really kind of still in its infancy. It was before it really sort of broke and there were decent games. But the thing was, we approached mobile phones like a games console. And 
90% of other studios doing this stuff weren't. They were just doing really crummy, simple games like Snake and variations of that sort of stuff. And we went, let's, let's see what we can do. So um, we did some really cool stuff, uh, basically for Electronic Arts. We did um, a game, game called Samurai that Toby and Tony did, which was like a scrolling platform hack and slash. It was really cool. Then we did a version of SOCOM for EA, and then we did uh, uh, Fight Night, we, and we did their first 3D Fight Night, and we did we did the first Need for Speed on, on mobile for Electronic Arts, um, and then we went on to we went on to do the first iPhone Need for Speed, um, and one of the highlights of my career was um, working directly on a game that was presented um, at both uh, at a at a Apple press conference, and it was played on stage, and it was Need for Speed. Oh man, Need for Speed Underground, I think it was, and it was one of the first like iPhone sort of high fidelity video games, and that was awesome. And then we went on to do like I don't know how many Need for Speeds we did for EA, like six, I think. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> they just turned uh, those things out, didn't they? <laughs> oh yeah, but it was really cool because we we got to sort of we really got to grow our technology with the iPhone hardware and really sort of get to finally start to do things that we were always really keen to do, like better visual effects, more polygons, better shaders, all sorts of really cool stuff. Um, but the thing that really benefited us is we, we all had a really strong video game design sensibility because we'd been making games for years. So we sort of brought that to the iPhone and put us in a really good position. So we did the first Need for Speed on iPhone. We did the first Sims game on iPhone. We did Dead Space. That was probably... For us, that was kind of like finally arriving. We did Dead Space for iOS on, on iPad and iPhone, and it was it was awesome. Like I still look at it now and go, man, we really pulled a rabbit out of the hat with that. Like it was really cool. It felt like a console game and and looked better than everything else that other people were doing. Anyway, um, and then eventually uh, I, uh, I left that studio, and that that studio is now uh, EA Melbourne. Um, it's also known as the Fire Monkeys because our company, Iron Monkey Studios merged with a company called um, Fire Mint and, we, and it became Fire Monkeys. So um, essentially um, we built the studio that became EA Melbourne, which is now like, I don't know, 140 people or something like that. So um, that was really great to be a part of, you know, like I was the art director there for about three years and my business partner, Toby, he was the technical director at the EA studio. And um, it was really cool, you know, getting to see the thing grow from like, basically five guys in a tiny little studio into like a sort of 130, 140 person studio. But it won't surprise you with, with EA comes layers of management, layers of bureaucracy and complexity and company policies. I mean, one of the things that, you know, your friends used to find was hilarious is like nobody used to wear shoes in our studio. Everyone was barefoot all the time. When EA came in, shoes became mandatory, and that was like the, that was the start of it. it was like, oh, here we go, because um, we never worried about dress code or anything like that. Because you know, as games developer, you want to create a really casual, really fun yeah. environment, and so long as people are doing great work, you don't care what they look like or you know what their you know proclivities are. It's like it's unimportant anyway. So uh, about oh man, nine years ago, ten years ago, I think. Um, Toby and I both left that studio and after about three or four months of not doing much, uh, I said to him, do you want to, do you want to start again? Like you and me? And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So, so we started and, uh, and what we did first was we dove straight into iPhone because that was our, 
most recent, most comfortable space, I guess. And in hindsight, you know, I think we both kind of regret that because we're both console gamers at our heart. Like, we really are. We just kind of got conditioned to go smartphone. But so at the end of the day, Battle Hunters is really important to the two of us because it's a return back to the space that we love the most. You know, now now we're console developers again. And it's really awesome, you know. Um, so I don't know. I think that, that's a little... <laughs> that's a bit about my history and my background. But, yeah, I've been making games for 25 years, made every kind of genre you can imagine, like, you know, games from from Need for Speed to The Sims to platform mobiles like Kung Fu Panda, boxing games like Fight Night, uh, you know, everything. Games like The Sims, every genre, every style, you know, I've done it. And it's been fantastic, yeah. So now I'm trying to pour all of that. Hopefully some of that knowledge is still in there into like a really cool Nintendo Switch game. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. Like that, I mean, you just knocked out like three of my questions (laughs) in one shot, which is awesome. But no, it's so cool to to hear that story about where you came from and how you came about. Um, Because I think you're right, like that early era of mobile games, people didn't really you know, give it a lot of thought. And a lot of those games are now lost to time. You can't yeah. actually replay them. Um, it's going to be one of those cool instances to see you now back on consoles and, and how you uh, how you transition. So let's start with this. How did this game, Battle Hunters, uh, come to be? Like, Yeah, you get good, the idea? good question. Like, you know, game development is such a bizarre thing. And... You know, ask most games developers will tell you that like the idea of having like this kind of perfect crystalline vision at the start and and ending up with something at the end that closely resembles that is is really rare, right? And I, you know, don't get me wrong, I really admire designers and creatives who can do that. But you know, ninety nine percent of the time, games follow this evolutionary path where you, you have like a a kind of in, an inspired goal, I suppose, where you get an idea, but it's it takes a lot of time to shape it, and often it will have a life of its own. It'll pull you in new directions because a game will sort of give you feedback that you don't expect. You know, and you find things that emerge. They go, oh, wow, that's kind of cool. I didn't sort of – anyway, so the point being, we started out – I had this idea. Tower defense games were really popular, right? And this was kind of like it's, – it's weird, but tower defenses obviously work on the idea of the static towers with different abilities, right? Um, they're long range or they're short range with wide area damage and all this sort of thing and um, lines of enemies come at you. And I was like, well, what if it was the opposite paradigm? Like you were sort of three towers moving through space with different abilities and you encounter like clusters of enemies and you can move the tower and they're, they're sort of more constrained battles and something like that. How would that work? And anyway, and then we landed on this idea of let's have three heroes that they've each got different abilities and you move this band of heroes through the world and um, yeah, there's there's battles, um, but they're sort of locked off. And another thing was, I something I did want to mention was games that, that really influenced me that, that fed directly into Battle Hunters were games like Zelda A Link to the Past. I mean, who, who doesn't love that? Obviously, Zelda Ocarina of Time. Um, but then a couple of other games, Grandia 2, I really loved on PlayStation. Grandia like, I absolutely loved it. I thought it had the, the best battle system I'd ever seen like it, it, it yep. maintained the excitement of real time action, but also had the turn based strategic dynamic. And I was like, this is, this is incredible. So I love that. Another game called skies of Arcadia on the dreamcast that like 
was I don't know how many I must have finished that like eight times or something. I just loved it. And the thing about that that got me was was the world, the the, the atmosphere that they managed to create this space that for me had a really nice feeling, and I just liked being in that world um, and floating over these you know chunks of landscape and those huge boss battles with your ship and these giants. It was it was awesome. So there's all these games that. I had sort of rattling around in my head in, in terms of like battle systems, a sort of colourful, cartoony aesthetic for the characters, creating a, a world that you might not see all of it and get to explore it, but you, you in your mind you sort of build the idea of this reality being bigger than what you see. So hopefully you sort of start to build a bit of a mythology. Um, so all those ideas. One thing I really hated, always hated, was random battles you know, walking along with your heroes and then do 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 and you, you know. <laughs> so I wanted to do something that was totally different. So the, you, you have all the cool stuff of a game like Skies of Arcadia or Grandia with your heroes and your story and that sort of thing. But you get to see the battles and you get to decide, do I want to enter this or not? And maybe I need to go get some more food or potions or whatever first and stock up and then, but just be able to have more of a consistent reality as well. Like not not break it by sort of warping you into this kind of, abstracted space but have everything take place in the world so it's more of a sort of persistent believable space much more like zelda link to the past sort of thing where you're fighting in the world you know so there's all these games that kind of were swirling around had this stupid idea about a moving tower defense thing um and we just sort of started you know we just started experimenting and and the game now is totally different from what what it began as um it was much more originally this sort of idea of being more of a a sort of sports coach and you had these heroes that were like, you know, your players and you kind of build them up and you just let them go. And we just realized that was really unsatisfying. It was like, this is, this isn't a game. This is just kind of like you set something up and then you watch it. It's more just like a simulation. It's really dull. So we just sort of started to give the player more and more direct control to the point where, yeah, now it's like you, you can pretty much get the heroes to do whatever you want. You can move them to different locations, set them to defend, set them to attack. You determine when their special moves get used and, and who they get used on. And so we just tried to like find this balance between getting the heroes to be autonomous and do what they need to by themselves and, and give the player genuine control and make it a real game with real strategy and a bit of excitement and pressure. And you've got to stay on it. Otherwise you get totally smashed. And so, yeah, that's kind of its inception. It's like, was this kind of dumb idea coupled with all of these, latent influences of all these sort of 90s and early 2000s Jap RPGs and that sort of thing. So, yeah. Uh, you got me super excited. Just those games you mentioned are four of my favorite games of all time. Like, they're up there. Like, I, I love Grandia, too. I love Zelda. Oh, man. Skies of Arcadia. Oh, my God. Oh, and another one you mentioned. Did you ever play Wild Arms 3? I didn't play 3. I played the first two. But I, I have three. Uh, right. You see, I never played the first two. I jumped in at number three. Wild Arms 3, again, fantastic. Like, I love the whole um, kind of Western theme that they sort of went with. So all that sort of stuff. So it's great, man. You totally know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, this has me super excited with, with just that. And and as you were describing the the tower defense, because I saw that in the trailer, I, I got that. I could picture in your head, like, oh, okay, I could see what you mean now because the combat is really unique in this where you, you pick all the turns and then the characters start moving with the enemies so you have to plan your attacks so that they hit. And I, I really like that idea. Um, so, like, is there is there a, a grandiose story to go around to this or is it just battles or, like, a lot of exploration? Like, Yeah, it's like... 
this is the other thing. Like, my business partner, Toby, and I are obviously we're old school gamers. And words, words like old school get thrown around a lot. Most people don't. They don't either know what it means or I, I don't know. But um, so I say that in the sense that we believe gameplay comes first, right? You build a game first. You don't start with a kind of high-level concept about story and characters. I mean, that, that's my view, right? Like a video game is about interactive entertainment, interactive feedback with, you know, with, with cool systems and dynamics that create tension and get you to make interesting choices and all that sort of stuff. Like that's what games are about. Um, so... We just, our story is, is kind of like, you know, um, it ranks right up there with games like Ghouls and Ghosts. The princess has been captured, rescue her. It's kind of about that complex. But basically, I mean, it's a little, there's a little more to it than that, which I, I won't give away. But essentially, there's um, this old wizard in the world you inhabit, in the kingdom. And he appears to one of the heroes at the start and says, I need your help. And there's this villain that I'm trying to keep controlled uh, because um, he poses a real threat to the world. And I need you guys to come and get to me as quickly as possible because I don't know if I can hold him for long and I need help, right, in order to, like, um, put an end to this guy. So that's how the game is set up. He's like you're on your way to help this guy who the game um, implies he's like an old ally of yours. You know, you, you, your heroes have sort of known him for a while and he's been a sort of benevolent member of the kingdom and he's, kind, you know, and so... Yeah, so that, that's the setup. So you're on your way to, to help this guy and you've got to make your way through the kingdom in order to get to him. Um, and you have to discover these warp points, so these these big old sort of ancient machines that can warp you big distances across the kingdom in order to get to him. So that's, that's kind of the cut and thrust of it. It's really just um, a, a classic style, you know, call to action for heroes. And on the way you meet loads of other heroes who have their own kind of backgrounds as well and they're they're in the world for different reasons and you either they're either ready to join you straight away because they're sort of noble fighters who just want to do something good or they want something from you or you need to prove something to them so different heroes require different um sort of sub quests i guess to be to be convinced to join you or to be unlocked or whatever some are some are quite sort of complicated and some of the more like really special, super powerful heroes, you've got to do quite a bit of legwork to unlock them. You know, we sort of, we want the player to work for it a bit, you know, you can't <laughs> give them all the good stuff for free. So there's characters like really early on in the game, you encounter this, um, we call him the Mecha Marine. So he's, he's basically a soldier in a robotic suit of armor. That's clearly from like a sort of sci-fi reality. And he sort of crashed and his suit won't work. And, yeah, he, he, he's like, can you guys help me? Like, my suit's malfunctioning, I can't get out of it. And you're like, okay, cool, like, we'll do what we can. And he explains what he needs. And then you set off, and, like, most players might will probably forget about him or not get around to it. But if you do the right things, you can come back and you can rescue him and, and he joins your team. And he's, like, crazy because he's, like, got, you know, like, missiles and a laser rifle and a, a defense shield and all sorts of cool stuff. So we, we sort of plant these little nice nuggets along the way for the player to sort of be lured back to go, oh, okay, I'm going to go back and get that guy because he might be cool. And we do that all throughout the game. 
That that sounds amazing. Uh, that's one of those things I noticed too when when looking at the trailer is it's a very medieval style game, and then you do have the mechs, and you have like the tank, like 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 what what was the inspiration for putting some of these more complex sci-fi yeah. or realistic elements into a fantasy world? Well, for me too, like um, I kind of I wanted to. I mean, this is an ongoing thing for me, but I kind of wanted to do a bit of a love letter to video games as a as a medium. Because I think video games are fantastic in in the breadth of what they explore and the sort of fun they create and all of these wonderful sort of archetypes that have been, you know, uh, that that sort of exist in the the video game landscape, these wonderful archetypes. And I kind of wanted to embrace a lot of those. So there's lots of that in our game. You know, there's there's this kind of mech soldier. There's in the air. There's kind of like World War II military hardware. There's... um, there's a cowboy in it that you meet. Um, there's like a ninja. I kind of went like, look, what are what are, what 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 are the cool things? Like, what are cool types of characters? You know, can we find an excuse to get them all into this game? And so we create a kind of a justification for it that we don't really explain. But you know, in my mind, there's a reason why this is possible. So there's there's a, a sort of um, narrative device that explains why these characters that seemingly don't really belong all end up in this world um and yeah we don't we don't really explain what that is but there is kind of an underlying reason for it so um yeah so um i kind of just wanted to sort of do an homage to like all of these wonderful kind of archetypes that exist in in video games and sort of pluck loads of different ones out and just say yeah let's just stick them in our game like why not if if i can come up with a sort of tenuous way to explain it then it's more important the player has fun than things make sense. That's kind of my philosophy, I think. I, you know what? I like it. I, I think that's perfectly good reason. Uh, now, you've, you've done so much with the mobile aspect. Uh, yeah. What was it like bringing this to Switch coming back to consoles? Like, was it like riding a bike or was it you know, a little more difficult than you remember? No, nah, look, um, my business partner might disagree. No, nah, he wouldn't, actually. I think he's really enjoyed it. Um, it was great, you know, like looking at how we could add some more sort of visual fidelity to the game. Like we've done a lot of things on the Switch visually that, you know, we didn't do on mobile and, um, you know, like there's, there's shading for a start. Like the characters all have shadows and have self-shading and all this sort of stuff. And we do this cool like rim light thing on them. And um, we, we were actually doing like, I think it's about three full screen passes where we do some like dynamic color correction and all this sort of stuff. But um, so there's some technical stuff going on that was really cool for us to do. Like for me, cause I'm the art guy. Like I love that stuff. Like it, it lets me get closer and closer to representing these characters in, in the way I really want them to be seen, you know? So the switch is, um, has given us the ability to do that. Um, but, you know, look, technically, you know, we also come from a background where, Back in the mobile days, we would do a game on, oh, man, 30 different SKUs. So we we are really comfortable and very used to looking at a new platform, looking at it technically, understanding what it can do and what its limits are. So we still find going to a single platform is not a big deal. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you figure out how it works, what its limits are, and you just you work with it. So it was really a lot of fun, I think, for us. Really a lot That's of fun. That's awesome. And, um, you know, we did find some surprising things about the Switch technically that I didn't anticipate. Um, for example, like the way um, 
Now, I'm going to get this wrong. I'm pretty sure it's the, the GPU, I think, that's throttled back when it's in portable mode, and it's quite a lot. Like, it runs at about half the speed that, than it does when it's docked. So, you know, you, you're playing the game docked when you're testing it, and it's running at 60 frames, and you're like, oh, this is fantastic, and then you pull it out and start playing in the handheld mode. And suddenly you start to see the frame rate drop in areas, and you're like, oh, what's, what's that about? And then you've got to find out about how you can control, you know, the throttling of the GPU and stuff like that. So... You know, that, that, there were a few hurdles to get over, but I think in the end, um, I'm really happy with what we've got. We've got a game that runs at 60 frames, I want to say 85, 90% of the time. So that's really great, I think. Like, you know, there's, there's areas where there's a lot of transparency, more visual effects going on that kind of like you see a bit of a frame slowdown, but we've tried to make sure that that never impedes the, the gameplay. You know, like at no point... I mean, I've played this thing through, like, I don't know, 50 times or whatever. Like, um, I don't think at any point it undermines the gameplay experience. Well, that's good to hear. Um, so now that Battle Hunters is done, uh, what's next for Phase 2 games? you have oh. another project you're ready to do? Are you doing DLC? Are you, you know, are you doing, a, you know, what is it going to be? Well, we've got, like, <laughs> we've probably got about five different ideas, you know, that we could do. And, you know... One of my one of the mountains I desperately want to climb in my career before it's all done. I want to do the greatest scrolling beat 'em up that's ever been made, right? So um, that's in my head. My business partner's not as much of a combat fan as I am, but I wouldn't mind looking into that. Um, um, if Battle Hunters turns out to to do okay, and you know it's sort of well received by the community, like we definitely would consider doing a, a Battle Hunters sequel and. I've already got a kind of design in my head. The idea for that would be uh, we take the characters into into actually like a dedicated sci-fi universe. So um, the game transitions from kind of classic high fantasy into sci-fi, and we actually do the sort of thing like, you know, kind of there'd be shades of Mass Effect in it actually where we'd have like a hub ship and instead of different zones like the forest and the swamp and the wasteland, there'd be different planets that you explore and, so, but but utilizing the same battle system with some added complexity, like we've talked about, you know, introducing a cover system and you know having more complex uh, enemy interactions, like enemies with their own drones and all sorts of all sorts of stuff. So, um, there's that. Um, my business partner absolutely loves Banjo Kazooie. It's always been one of his absolute pinnacles of games he loves, and I think he makes an excellent point. He said that there isn't really a game quite like that at the moment that 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 sort of genre i mean aside from nintendo who still seem to like produce games of that sort of sort like sort of classic 3d platform adventures um it's a sort of genre that you know is overlooked by a lot of and he'd love to do something like that so i don't know like there's there's all sorts of things you might do the first thing is is to see how battle hunters goes definitely because we've poured so much time into this game like it's two guys has taken Six years, seven years, I don't know. Wow. Um, taking a long time, you know, and, you know, it, it's crazy. So, like, I've done everything. Every every single pixel you look at is done by me and every single bit of code, including the engine, the tools, um, all of the sort of game logic, everything is done by my business partner. Like, it's kind of weird. In an era where everybody uses Unity or Unreal, because we're kind of dinosaurs, we just went, nah, we'll just write our own engine. We don't need that stuff. So <laughs> that's why it's taken so long. But um, but we've invested so much time and effort into this game. Um, we really got to see how it goes. And if it does well, I think we'd, we'd probably happily do a bigger, better sequel 
more ambitious and we probably go, you know what, let's not limit it to Switch. Let's also go PlayStation, Xbox, all that sort of thing. So now that we're back at console and we're absolutely loving it, we're just going to go hard on that space, I think. You know, our next game is going to be everywhere. So, But for right now, we've ended up with a game that we think is absolutely perfect for Switch. You know, in terms of the sensibility of it, like, you know, you've seen it's kind of got a a kind of light aesthetic, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of games are way too serious these days. They're too earnest and they take themselves too seriously. And I kind of miss the days when games were bright and colourful and even the bad guys were kind of fun, you know. Like yeah. it wasn't about being gruesome and angry. So um, I, I think our game is right at home on Switch for a lot of those reasons, you know. I think it, it sort of suits Nintendo as a brand. Um, yeah. I, I agree completely. Uh now, I always ask this about to every developer I talk with. Um, what about a physical? You think you you pursue the path of getting a physical copy of... of uh, yeah, I think we would if... Now, yeah, I'm going to say it again. There's only two of us. So, <laughs> so resources are not, like, exactly abundant. So we'll have to see. If, if the digital release goes well, we would absolutely look at doing a physical copy for sure. I mean, for my own gratification... To have to have that in my hands would be like like a hugely emotional moment. I can't tell you to have done a game that we created on a Nintendo platform for me would be. I mean, that's like that's like arriving. You know, that's like you've made it. So I would love to do that if it's possible because it would mean so much to the two of us actually to do that. Um, so yeah, we, we got to see how the digital. I mean, so if people want to, you know, want that to happen, <laughs> get out there and get the digital copy and get into it. But yeah, so absolutely. Awesome. All right. So uh, one last thing. Um, I also ask this of everybody just because the answers are really cool. If any developer out there came to you or any publisher and said, hey, we we want you to create the next game in the blank series, what would be your dream game right now? Anyone come, we want you to make the next whatever game you want. Look, I've got a curveball for you. I'm going to say straight off the bat, I'm going to say Golden Axe. Because I think that um, you know, I'm, another one of my favourite games, absolutely all-time favourite, is Streets of Rage Two. Um, you know, I still think it's arguably the best scrolling beat 'em up that's ever been made. And as a kid, going to the arcades and seeing Golden Axe, um, that that blew my mind. You know, the gold, the original Golden Axe. And what what I find really weird about what publishers do with with properties is a lot of the time they're really good at misunderstanding them. Like, so Golden Axe is this dwarf in, like, a green tunic with an axe, right? And, like, I want to see that done in the modern era with modern technology. You know, admittedly, I'd try and preserve a kind of cartoony sensibility, but do it with the appropriate detail and style and visual effects and and treatment and all that. So that's, that's one that sort of I've often thought about because I think the Golden Axe franchise is so underserved, like... They, you know, they've done some horrible things with it. That you mean you didn't like Beast Rider? Come on! <laughs> I mean, you know, it's precisely what I'm talking about, right? Like this wonderful, colorful game with vibrant cut, and they give us this brown game that doesn't even have Gilius Thunderhead in it. Like, I mean, actually, I think he's got a cameo in it. I, I, but anyway, um, <laughs> so that's something that stands out. But I mean, look, man, you know, I could I could talk to you for hours about. If only someone gave me this IP, what would I do with it? I mean, you know, there's loads. Um, I'm kind of, 
I'm going to go against the grain. I'm kind of disappointed with what um, Sega did with Streets of Rage 4. You know, I, I, I like, I bought it, played it. I was like, eh, it's okay. It's like a kind of repaint of Streets of Rage 2, really. But um, that's another one I'm like, man, let me at that. I'd love to do that. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. Um, too hey. many to count. Hey, those are some great, great options. And I would love to see a, a Golden Axe return to form. So, yes, Sega, you know, start, start making some phone calls. All right. So, um, Dan, uh, I just want to thank you um, for joining today. We, uh, If you want more information on Phase 2 Games, please go to phase2games.com. Um, you can check them out on Twitter at Phase2Games. And, of course, Battle Hunters is coming out October 20th. It is coming out on PC via Steam. So check out the Steam page as well as the Nintendo Switch. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. No, thank you very much, Barry. Again, I really appreciate the invitation, and it's been a real pleasure talking to you. The pleasure is all mine. And now for everybody else, thank you for watching and listening. Have a great day, everybody. Take care, and see you next time.